0: Welcome to the board game design lab podcast each week we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love and now here's your host Gabe Barrett What's up my friends welcome to the board game design lab today we're talking about getting the most out of a design convention, a convention that is specifically geared, specifically focused to help designers play test their games, look at prototypes, get better. And we're talking to Tony Miller from Beard- Bearded Rogue Games. Tony, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Now, Tony, you've been to Double Digit numbers of unpubs and different designer-focused conventions. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like you're a guy that really knows what he's talking about as far as getting the most out of these experiences. And, and actually, the reason I contacted you, I wanted to uh, interview you on this, you, you put out a video a while back on YouTube that was talking about mm-hmm. how to prep, how to get ready, things to take to one of these kind of conventions. So I'm excited to, to kind of go through the different things and talk to you about that stuff. Uh, but just in case people don't know who you are, kind of give me a quick bio. You know, Tell the listeners who you are and what you've been working on, how you got into games that kind of thing
1: all right um well my name is tony miller uh you can find me blabbing on twitter at bearded rogue um i'm one third of the breaking into board games podcast um where we have discussions with various people in the industry about how they got into the industry and um that's how i spend uh quite a bit of my time uh is uh going through the podcast talking to other designers getting uh, those kinds of things. Um, I'm uh, an unpublished designer at this point. I have, uh, I don't even know how many designs. I have seven that I'm currently pitching. I can say that, um, with many, many more on the other side of that. Um, Constantly refining, constantly working to uh, get them to uh, the point where publishers uh, will go ahead and take a chance on somebody who isn't out there yet and, uh, and sign one. So that's kind of where I'm at in the industry right now. Um, trying to do everything I can to help other people get into the industry. Um, and hoping that some of that pays forward for me, uh, in the future.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about a design convention. Let's talk about what that is kind of the, the, the bigger picture of what that is.
1: Okay. So, there's lots of different models that are out there right now, um, depending on who you talk to. Um, I have personal experience the most with the UnPub group. Um, there's also Protospiel who's out there who's doing a fantastic job. and then I recently relocated to the Portland, Oregon area and up here they have Playtest Northwest, which is uh, focused on Seattle and Portland and the Northwest of the US, and um, I haven't been to any of their events yet, but uh, that's another group that's out there specifically working with designers uh, to just give them additional space to play test, to put their ideas in front of other things, brainstorm, workshop, all of the sort of things that it really benefits you to do as a designer. So. Design conventions, the the big ones, um, are the main protospiels, uh, which are in various, uh, cities, and then there's Unpub Prime, I guess they're calling it now, uh, that's based out of Baltimore, uh, Maryland, um... And uh, UnPub is a once-a-year convention. I've been to four of them, the last four of them in a row, which is every one they've had in Boston. They used to do it in a small high school uh, gymnasium in Delaware. And they've since grown to the Baltimore Convention Center because of how much this hobby has exploded and um, how many designers have decided to throw their hat into the industry as, you know, hey, I want to make games too, Um And uh, the one thing I will say about all design conventions is that the majority of people you will run into there are other designers, and they're going through a lot of the same things that you are. So it's really easy to meet new people and interact with them because they're all there for the same reason you are. They have games that they like and that they love and that they've been working on and pouring their heart and soul into Um, and uh, they're there to socialize and talk about games. So if you're a gearhead like me, somebody who just loves hour-long conversations about mechanisms uh, and uh, the way they're implemented in certain games, you're in the right crowd if you're at one of these uh, events. Um, Unpub is scheduled over three days right now, so they have a designer day uh, on Friday, and the designer day is basically a... uh, just a panel day for uh, special guests of the convention to talk. Usually they have like Panda manufacturing talks about producing games for people who are interested in publishing their own designs. Um, they normally have a guest of the year this year. It was uh, Zev Schlesinger last year. It was Eric Lang and Rob Davio. Um, the year before it was uh, Richard Lanius, um, and Mike Fitzgerald. Um, so they have these big-name, big-published designers who have multiple titles under their belts, um, or publishers who've published myriads of games. Uh, Zev with Z-Man, uh, <laughs> like half my shelf, it seems like, some days is is Zev had some hand in. Um, so that's Friday. Friday is also a day for everybody to play each other's games. So... Um, On the Friday, we normally, like, I normally hole up at a table and try to get as many other designers over as possible. And we just sit down and play each other's prototypes and then give feedback. Um, And it's really important to not only go there looking to get feedback about your designs, but to be willing to give feedback about other people's designs. I found that the more, um, the, the closer you are to a game, the harder it is to be objective about that game and, uh, like feedback from other designers is gold, like feedback from the general public is good, but when you're taking it to the general public, it's more along the lines of did anything catastrophically break down? Um, would you buy this? Is this something you would expect to see in store shelves? You know, was there anything that was confusing? Whereas with other designers, you can go even more base level. You can bring something on index cards out on the table and say, does this work? Is this even a game? (laughs) And uh, you can get feedback from that level. Um, So that's Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday, they bring in the general public and you pay for a table, um, either a full table or a half day table. Um, and uh, thousands of people come into the convention center and just sit down and play prototype games and give feedback and then they go to the back of the room and they rate your games based on uh, criteria that unpub has for you know was this um, you know how easy was this to learn how uh, fun was it would you play again etc cetera, etc cetera. and all that stuff gets emailed to the designer uh, at the end. People are encouraged to do it because they give away door prizes for every game you play and every feedback form you submit, you get an entry in the raffles for the door prizes and they're all like games and this year they had like quivers and box inserts and all sorts of other cool stuff. So um, it's pretty fun, uh, pretty neat structure to it.
0: Yeah, now that's the, the big Unpub. Now can I expect the same kind of thing at the Unpub minis and the Protospiels and those kind of conventions as well?
1: So, Unpub minis um, are run locally. Unpub itself, as an organization, is like, I don't know, a handful of people, most of whom volunteer their time. Uh, So, they don't have time to run the events elsewhere. So, it's usually local groups organizing their own. It depends on where you go. Um, I helped put one on in Cincinnati, uh, my former location. Um, And. We had a um like we had a wonderful guy he's a project manager in his day job and he organized a schedule so that everybody would have their games be play tested by somebody even if only other designers showed up nobody would be sitting there at a table alone with their design unloved that nobody wanted to touch um and so he had this very like tight schedule of who's playing what game when and all this stuff. Others are much more open like Unpub is where everybody sits down at a table and everybody plays whatever. Um, So it depends on the event itself. Most of the time, the Unpub minis are much more designer heavy. They're not as big, uh, there's not as big of a turnout from the general public. Um, Mostly that's because of advertising and there's only so many people that you can reach with a budget of $0, (laughs) which is what we had. Um, But Like, we put up flyers at the local game stores, the local colleges. We actually held it at a board game cafe in Cincinnati called The Rook. Um, They normally don't allow you to bring games in um, because they're a board game cafe. You rent to play their games. But – They made an exception for designers, and they actually host a designers' night every month where all of us show up and play each other's games and give each other feedback. So there's kind of like a a little designers' night Unpub mini that goes on every month, and then they're trying to organize a much bigger one that we bring the public in for once a quarter. Um, North Carolina and uh, the Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York area run a lot of Unpub minis. Um, I think North Carolina is once a quarter as well where, like, every three months they have a, an Unpub Mini down at uh, Atomic Empire Games, I think it is. I can't remember exactly, but I think that's it. Um, I'm sure some one of the fine game designers from North Carolina will let me know if I'm wrong. Um, but, um, but, yeah, they're le- usually less organized, more local-based. Um, and uh, you do get support from Unpub in the form of, like, they'll give you, like, Templates to make signs and flyers and all of that other stuff. You can use their official trade dress like the Unpub logo and everything like that. Um, so that kind of carries over from one to the other. But the organization of them is different. Um, Protospiel is its own animal. Protospiel is much more designer focused than uh, publisher or than um, uh, design, the, much more designer focused than public focused. And in Protospiel, you're very likely going to be sitting down with four other designers, and, or three other designers, depending on how many your game plays. And then all of you will play each other's game in turn, giving each other feedback. And then you'll move to a new group of designers, and then all of you will play each other's games and give each other feedback. Um, there's also a very heavy focus in Protospiel on actually pitching games to publishers, so they do mock uh, pitches... Um, and seminars of that sort of thing, like there are actual publishers there who will hear your pitch, like they're listening to a genuine pitch, but they're also there to give you advice on how to pitch in the future and what you should include, what you shouldn't include, and that sort of thing. So um, Protospiel uh, has a, a much more this is how you go from here's your game design to here's how you get published. Unpub is very much focused on here's your game idea. Here's how you produce a game. Um, so they have slightly different goals, but they do overlap quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so if I wanted to do one of these myself, let's say, you know, my area doesn't have these kinds of events. I could just set one up. I could set up an set up an Unpub mini organize mm-hmm. that and people will hopefully join me for that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something I could do myself, right?
1: Yes, um yeah, through unpub uh they actually facilitate setting up unpub minis. they'll put it on their official calendar, um like I said, they'll send you uh stuffed flyers and various things like that. Protospiel does it as well. I know they ran a protospiel event in Southern California um not too long ago. um I believe Jeremy Commander and a couple of other people did one down there, and uh that was very, very well received but Um, It's really uh, the design type conventions exist uh, because the designers in the area have a demand for them. Like the Game Designers of North Carolina has their own podcast. There's like hundreds of them. Uh, it seems there's probably only about 20, yeah. but when they show up at Unpub and they all have matching tablecloths and matching t-shirts, like <laughs> some sort of sports team, it seems like there's more of them. Right. Um, and that's because they've just done a big job in their local community of connecting with other designers and creating set times that people can go do designer nights. Um, and I, like I said, I set, so I helped set something like that up in Cincinnati before I left. They have a monthly designer night now and then uh hopefully a quarterly mini unpub uh, and I'm hoping to work with Playtest Northwest up here in Oregon now that I'm up here. Uh, to try to start setting stuff like that up. Uh, Several game stores will have designer nights, um, like Rainy Day Games here in Portland twice a month does a designer night. They're not attached to any of the official programs, like they're not Playtest Northwest, they're not Unpub, they're not Protospiel. The person who owns the store just happens to be a game designer. He's one of the designers behind uh, Dicey Goblins that uh, Renegade recently published, I think last year. And so he really cares about cultivating the design community in his area. And that's kind of how it starts is a designer night. And then the designer night becomes months of designers nights. And then you guys all work together to throw something larger. Um, And then there's the big yearly get togethers like Baltimore, where all of us just go and talk shop for a weekend.
0: Yeah. So this is more of one of those things. First kind of build a community, build some people together somehow and then later down the road, maybe try to put together an unpub or something like that. It's not one of those, mm-hmm. if you build it, they will come necessarily, because you might do a lot of work and then have nobody show up if you don't already kind of have some people or have a community built up.
1: Yeah, it depends on how good of a marketer you are as well. Yeah. Like I've seen unpubs in communities, um, like I've seen people who are total unknowns in a community say, I'm going to run an unpub. And then they find out that there's an existing community in their area and this is how they connect with them. And then suddenly now they're part of the larger community and the community has an Unpub together. So it's really um, really about finding the people in your area who have the similar interests as you, um, whether it's you know, on Meetup or on Unpub itself or on BGG um, or wherever, even just Twitter. Um, finding other local designers on Twitter is a viable option for starting something like that. Um, but if you're a marketing person, like if that's something that you do as a day job or some skill that you personally possess, uh, you could take a stab at doing it without already having a community pre-built. Um, you'll just have a varying degrees of success depending on who you reach and how.
0: Yeah. So basically, what I'm hearing is that since I'm in Honduras, I need to set up Unpub Roatan, and people mm-hmm. we can fly in, hang out at the beach, play some games, talk about games, and just have a good weekend of it. Is that what you're saying?
1: Now, that sounds like an absolutely wonderful vacation. I think you probably could get some bites if you pitched it the right way. Yeah. Like if you uh, if you found a hotel or an event center to hold it at, and could get a discount on a block of rooms, and say, hey, um, you know, this is what we're doing. Uh, Daryl Andrews, um, who's on the Meeple Syrup show and is a multi-time published designer at this point, um, he set up a like winter camp for game designers up in Canada. Mm -hmm. And he just like contacted one of the local camps that's closed during the winter. It's a summer camp and said, Hey, what would it cost to like rent your space over like the, you know, New Year's weekend. And just, we have everybody fly in and we run an event and like he did all sorts of awesome stuff. Like he brought his mom in to cook for everybody because she's an amazing cook and she can uh, make large quantities of food very easily, apparently. Um, but yeah, they like he sponsored the event and said, "This is how much tickets will cost. This will get you, you know, three meals a day that my mom is cooking, or two meals a day and a snack, or whatever. And then, you know, you can stay at this summer camp and whatever. So it depends on how much logistics you want to get into. If you want to organize, like, here's your Honduras unpub vacation. Yeah, this is how much it will cost you." Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you got some uh some takers for such a thing, especially if it was all you know Let's just all weekend play games and hang out on the beach. That sounds like a great time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I need to talk to Daryl because if he can get people to fly to Canada during the yes. winter, surely I can get people to fly to Roatan during the winter. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would
1: think so. I would think so. I would think you would have a, a case to be made there. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, before Eric Lang recently moved to Singapore, he was very excited about Dice Tower Con because it was in Florida and there are pools there. Right. And that's not as common up in Canada. 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 So uh, I think a case could be made. A case could be made.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll look into that. That's something. Yeah. And if (laughs) if you're listening to this and you're interested in Unpub Roatan, send me an email and let's start figuring this out. Okay. But let's let's talk about how to find one of these things. How do you find out if one is close to you or if one's coming up in your area?
1: Um, Well, both Protospiel and Unpub have websites. Um, Playtest Northwest does as well. Um, and they list the events they're going to be at, um, most of the time it's major conventions, and then they also list all of their Unpub Minis. And again, if you were to coordinate an Unpub Mini or a proto spiel, they would list it on their calendar as an event that people could attend. So that's the first place I'd check if you're looking for one of the major events, is Unpub, um, Unpub's website, Protospiel's website, or Playtest Northwest's website, depending on where you live. Um then uh, if you don't see anything there, um, meetup.com has been really useful for me as a designer. Uh, I originally found the Cincinnati Designer Board Game Designers group on Meetup. Um, there are all sorts of other groups of various interests. Like if I wanted to play Euchre or Bridge, I could have found 800 groups like that on meetup.com around Cincinnati. Um, but there was one Game Designers Meetup, and that was really all I needed. Um, Facebook groups usually exist. If there's enough designers in an area to warrant it, somebody will have created a Facebook group. Um, Twitter is a good place to look. Um, If you're at all connected into the board game Twitterverse, uh, we're very, very helpful about connecting people who are close to each other. Um, Like, I... Just recently moved to Portland. I've never been here in my entire life, not even for vacation. And I've already had uh, play dates with three different groups of board gamers. Some are reviewers, some are just board gamers who are here, some are designers. But um, all of that's just through connections on Twitter of, hey, anybody in the Portland area want to game. Sometimes that's really all you need to do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and the biggest thing is just put yourself out there and just do a Google mm-hmm. search or go down to your local game store and just ask, hey, do you guys do any kind of design nights or anything like that? Because odds are you're going to find something. Now, some of y'all listening to this, y'all live in literally the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for that. And it might you might have to drive a good ways. Uh, but, gosh, there's... They're just so it's so important to do these kinds of things. And let's talk about why it's so important to go to these kinds of conventions, to do these kinds of designer nights. I mean, you talked earlier about having designers sit down and play your game and how valuable Mm -hmm. that is. because often players will play it and they'll look at something they don't like and they'll just go, I don't like this. And they'll give you 10 different ways they think you should fix it. But none of those mm-hmm. ways actually get to the heart of what's wrong or what's broken. Mm-hmm. Whereas a designer can look at it and go, oh, "Okay, I think you need to tweak this mechanism over here and do this." And I, I did the mm-hmm. same thing in one of my games. Anyway, just being able to speak from experience—it's so mm-hmm. vital to to have that opportunity to sit down with designers. But but talk more. Let's let's talk more about why it's so important to go to these kinds of conventions.
1: So. Um Conventions exist in pretty much every industry, like there are pharmaceutical conventions, there are doctor conventions, there are lawyer conventions, there are conventions for basically every form of employment under the sun. The sheer number I I work in IT is my day job and the sheer number of conventions I'm invited to for network uh, equipment or various other vendor conventions so I can come see their latest products is too numerous to even count. And the reason why is because getting together uh, as a community helps you feel like you're part of the community yeah. is the first big thing. Um, I know there are a lot of designers out there like who are working on games and are either unaware of the larger community or are aware of it but can't get there. Like, like you said, there are some people who live too far away from a game store to regularly go to one, let alone to attend, you know, once a week designer nights and board game conventions all over the country. Um, it's not something that everybody can do, but why it's important is one, it lets you know that you are not alone doing this. That can be very important when you start working on a design and you start getting discouraged while working on a design, having other people who are in sort of the same struggle or a f- different flavor of the same struggle as you is a really good way to keep at it um there are a lot of times where i when i was first starting out where i was like you know what this is just too much effort this is supposed to be a hobby this is supposed to be fun this isn't you know this is not fun right now i yeah. don't want to do this anymore and somebody else uh, another designer or one of my play testers or somebody would say you know but Look at the good part of it and, like, bring me back to center myself and help me get rid of the gloom and doom. Um, it's also a really good place to talk shop. Um, you, as, as I mean, I personally don't have a chance to play every new game that comes out. And that's research for game designers. Right. Like, new games are research for us. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say you should write them off on your taxes, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, you couldn't possibly have enough time to play all of the games that are out there. And so putting it in front of other people who are into the hobby and who play games regularly, you may find out that a design you're working on is extremely similar to something that's already out there. Or you may find out that it shares a theme with something and the mechanisms are completely different. And... Um, those are interesting data points to find out. You know, if a game that shares your theme is already on the market and occupies the same space in the marketplace, like if you're working on this and there's already a, if you're working on a, you know, pressure luck game about, um, I don't know, let's just use one of my game designs. If you're working on a pressure luck game about rescuing books from the burning library of Alexandria in Egypt and Asmodee just released one last quarter. Yeah. Well, That's probably going to need a retool. Right. Even if it's just a retheme, the mechanisms may still work. Or if you came up with this really clever mechanism and then you find out that somebody else is working on something that's the same thing. Parallel design happens all the time. Like people aren't stealing your ideas or stealing your designs. It's just people working on the same things. And, uh, it's good to know that that stuff exists. It's also good to know how people solved problems that you're running into. um, because if a problem's already been solved, there's not really a reason for you to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Like, in, uh, I've seen a lot of drafting games where it's just taken as a given, where you draft one direction clockwise around the table, and then the next round you go counterclockwise, and then you alternate clockwise and counterclockwise. Why? Because it works. It, it eliminates an advantage or a disadvantage that players may have because of where they're sitting at the table seven wonders did it it's not the first game to do it but it did it and a lot of people played seven wonders so in a drafting game that just kind of shows up as a solution that already exists um this is a place where you can learn about stuff like that um you can learn about what uh, designers are working on in the future this is one of the things that me as a gearhead i'm really interested in is the cutting edge of stuff because like Legacy mechanisms or you know, the new hotness. Micro games were the new hotness a little while ago. Like, all of these games, um, or a lot of them that I see on Kickstarter now, are games that I saw in development. Like, as they were being worked on. Like, the basic ideas that, you know, this is what I want to build, and now I'm seeing, like, this is a finished product that you can back on Kickstarter, or games being published by bigger companies. Like, I saw them in their infancy. Like, I played Gill's. Uh, Gil Hova, um, one of my co-hosts, I played his game The Networks when it was basically printed on cardstock. There was no art, there was no anything. There was pretty decent graphic design considering it was printed on cardstock, but It wasn't a pretty game. It was a fully functional game, and playing it and sitting down and playing it, I knew it was going to be a huge hit, but um, just playing it then and seeing the tweaks that were made once he got a professional graphic designer, a professional artist, and all of those people involved before he put it up on Kickstarter and published it, um, that's really interesting to me. That's a behind-the-scenes look at the hobby that you don't get anywhere else. Um, It's also important because it gets your name out there. If you're ever looking to be published at all, knowing everybody is a really good way to do that. Um, you know, uh, it's it's much more. Uh, this is a small niche industry. Like everybody knows everybody. It's to your advantage to be part of that everybody that everybody knows. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. And uh, you know, your first game may not be amazing. Your second game may not wow people, but the second you get one that hits, like everybody's going to know about it because people are going to talk to each other about it. I mean, there are games that I played at Unpub that we've mentioned on our podcasts that I've had other people come to me and ask about, like, you know, whatever happened to that game you talked about in episode, whatever. And, you know, I like to keep tabs with designers and, you know, be able to answer those questions or direct that interested person to that designer. And I would hope other people would do the same for me. Like if somebody says, Hey, I, you know, heard about this, you know, this pressure luck uh, game about rescuing books from the fire in the Library of Alexandria and you know what you know what gives, what's going on with that. I would hope people would send them to me to find out more or see what's about it. And that's not just customers, that's publishers as well, or other designers or people who are interested in that sort of thing. Um, probably the funniest thing is I showed up to Unpub with my fire in the library game. It was one of my seven designs. It wasn't even the one I was showing at the convention. But other designers who knew me knew I was bringing it and said, hey, you know, this is one of the games that's going to be there. Within minutes of showing up, I had somebody who was there at the convention with another game set in the same place, the Library of Alexandria. And it's all about rescuing books from the Library of Alexandria. Now, his is a drafting set collection uh, type game and mine is a pressure luck pulling cubes from a bag type game his plays in about an hour mine plays in about 10 to 15 minutes they share the same theme but that's it like surface level however it was a theme he was already interested in so he wanted to play my game just to see if there was anything he could draw from it any inspiration or any anything that was similar about the two games that was interesting um you know, and people will surprise you. They'll have games with crazy themes or crazy mechanisms. Um, and that's where you'll go to learn about that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean these cons are so important not just because you can play test and you can test games. I mean, we can't mm-hmm. overstate the fact you need to keep play testing a game as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And any opportunity to do that, you need to take it. But you bring up a great point with the networking and talking to designers and, you know, I was remind me, I was talking to Richard Laonius for an interview, mm-hmm. I don't know, a while back. And I asked him a question, I said, "Hey man, how many how many games do you think you've like designed come up with, you know, worked on prototypes whatever that never mm-hmm. saw the shelf that like never went all the way. How many have you done? he said, I don't know, man, like a thousand. And it was Mm -hmm. so good for me to hear that, that Richard Lanius, who has made an incredible number of amazing games has about a thousand games that weren't any good or weren't good enough to go the Mm -hmm. full distance. It's like, okay, that helps me, you know, working on my handful of games, not feel so bad, you know, and just networking with people. And then another, another thing I love about the Unpub or, or this kind of a convention model is people come in with the expectation to play a game that's not finished. You know, if I take my prototype down to my, my buddy's game night and we're playing all these really great games with beautiful art, you know, Mm -hmm. and the mechanisms are streamlined Mm -hmm. and good and elegant and all that. And I'm like, Hey guys, you want to play my game? It's not the same. They're, they're, they're going to no. look at my game and go, no, it's, it's not a finished game. It's, it's probably got some broken parts. Or even if they play it and it's not what it needs to be, they judge it. You know, they're like, oh, this game's awful. Mm-hmm. Well, it might not be awful. It might just be their expectations weren't right. Mm-hmm. And so these kind of conventions, everybody coming in
1: knows that things aren't right yeah. yet. It's not ready yeah, to me, go. Yep, the expectation is set already. Yeah. That we're going to be playing games that aren't quite done. Yep. Um, and that your feedback is valuable. And that's that to me is one of the biggest things is that there's uh, desi- game designers when they bring a game to one of these conventions or when they play test with people they've never play tested before or even people they have they're inviting feedback yeah. like there it's a creative process and our hobby requires other people be involved in the feedback process yeah. um, you know other other mediums can produce art. And they're judged based on you know how much they sell or whether it's interesting or you know various other criteria. The same exists in games, but it also has to function mechanically right um inside of the same so so it doesn't just have to i don't know i mean i I guess I'm not a novelist, I'm not a painter. they have other criterias that their stuff is judged on and being publishable isn't the only end result for a game. Like, if that's your goal, these are a great place to go. Even if it isn't your goal, these are a pretty cool place to go. There are people who bring games like... There was one person who reserved a table. He didn't even have a game design. He just brought blank white cards and whoever he was at the table with, they just brainstormed ideas and BSed around with whatever it was while he was there. Yeah. He primarily designs tiny little games like micro games. And so he was just, his well was dry. He wasn't coming up with any new ideas. So sitting down with new people and getting feedback on what, he could do totally rejuvenated his schedule like he's got a whole bunch of new games now that he's working on just because he sat down and brainstormed with other people instead of trying to keep it all in his own head.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you make a great point with games. You know, it's such an interactive and an engaging uh art form. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh I paint a picture and then people look at it and they go I like that or I don't like that. It's not mm-hmm. like I wrote a book and I, you know, I put it out there on Amazon and people read it and they go this was good, or this wasn 't any good it it's, mm-hmm. It goes so far beyond that you know because people are actually going to engage with this thing and interact with it in different ways and whereas a typo or something wrong in your book, people can kind of kind of look at the context clues and figure out, okay, this mm-hmm. word is wrong or used wrong, but I figure out what he meant meant by it with the other mm-hmm. you know context you can 't do mm-hmm. that with a game if you read a rule book no. and it 's got some some things that are wrong with it, the whole
1: experience could be the messed whole thing up. collapses, yeah, the whole yeah. thing collapses, it doesn't function and um it's one of the one of the things that, um, like, as a novelist, it pays to have an editor. Right. It, it's a, to your great benefit. Your text will read better. Everything will perform better. You'll sell more novels right. with an editor than without, even with context clues. As a game designer, you are not going to get any games out there unless you're extremely good at marketing. And even then, you'll maybe only succeed once. Yeah, one print run. One one print run of one game, yeah. uh, and that'll be it. It'll be your death knell. If it doesn't function and nobody can play it, it doesn't matter how good it was when you were there, um, and you can't package yourself in the box. Right. So a lot of a lot of game design is um, is user interface design. Helping the user to play your game, you know, whether it's graphic design or the artwork or the rules booklet itself, um, development, uh, I cannot stress how important developers are in the industry. They're kind of the unsung heroes, like they don't get their name on the front of the box, but most of the games that you play that function really, really well, it's because there was at least one person doing development on it. Um, You know, there's so many hands in it. It's closer to uh, producing a movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And everybody has to pull their weight for it to work. If, you know, if all of the new Star Wars movie didn't have the computer effects and it was just all in front of green screen, (laughs) the story may still be good. The actors may still give good performances, but the lack of special effects will show. And game design is the same way. If you leave out graphic design if you leave out artwork development that will show and like these are places for you to meet people who have all of those as disciplines i mean i'm an it guy in my day job but some of these people are graphic designers in their day job some of these people are artists in their day job some of these people you know do this stuff as their career and are very, very good at it. And connecting with them will also benefit you. Even if the only thing you ever, even if you never pay them for a gig and the only thing you ever get from them is advice yep. on how to do something different, that's to your benefit. I remember a couple of Unpubs ago, um, Daniel Solace was there on the Friday on one of the panels. And he has these amazing videos called Card at Work, which are all about helping you get your um like get a card game graphic designed and put together so that it's functional and people can use it. It covers mail merging and a whole bunch of really really cool things. Some of it is totally beyond me technically. Um but it's really useful. So he gave this panel talking about, you know, all of this stuff and some of the basics, like, people hold their cards in a fan, so any information that they need to be able to see on that card should be referenceable in the corner of the card that hangs out in a fan, in their hand, yeah. you know? Like, basic little things like that. Like, if it's something they only need to reference when it's on the table, you don't need to put it in that top corner. But if it's something that they need to reference in their, fan, in their hand, like a cost for something... In order to be able to play it, they should have that accessible where they can see it and not have to constantly flip through their cards. And all of those kinds of things are things that you'll get putting your prototypes in front of other game designers, graphic designers, publishers, and the people who attend these kind of, of events. Um, and like, it's just a million lessons a day. Uh, like that just little tiny lessons like that not even you know this game doesn't work at this point and this is why sometimes uh, game designers will be able to just point you at what the problem is and they don't try to fix it right and that's not something you tend to get in public play tests everybody who's there play testing with you is usually your friend or a family member, or a loved one, or somebody who wants you to do well, and so they want to help you fix the problem. Other game designers can take a much more objective look at it and go, this is where your game doesn't work. And that's it. That's what they give you. And sometimes that's all you really need. Um, You know, leave it up to me to fix it, or to figure out how to fix it. And if I don't know how, I may ask you, um... Chris uh, Rollins um, from uh, 1000XP, he does the NPC cast. He just recently was wildly successful with uh, The Last Garden on Kickstarter. Um, He uh, at one point said that his favorite thing to do in a game design is whenever somebody asks a question like, Hey, does this effect take place before this effect? rather than giving them an answer of how it works currently, he'll ask them, well, how would you like it to work? So that they talk more about what it is that's not working rather than just giving him, you know, just getting a rules clarification. Because you're not there to clarify your rules for these players. You're there to find out where they break down. Hmm. Like, Like I said, you can't be packaged in the box. It has to work without you there. So if that question comes up in a play with you are sitting there and all you do is answer it. You're wasting an opportunity to find out how you can answer it permanently. Yeah. Um, so,
0: so let's talk about what to bring to one of these conventions. You know, if I yes. want to really get the most out of this time, this is this only, you know, a couple of days, three days, maybe max, uh-huh. I want to make sure my time is well spent. And so what are, what are things that you take with you or things you would tell people to bring along with them?
1: Um, well, the first thing that you're going to want to bring with you to one of these events is a game that you are working on. Now, the state of the game that you are working on will determine what else it is that you want to bring. If your game is, you feel in a pitch ready state to pitch to publishers, then you're going to want to bring one prototype for playing one prototype that you can just hand to a publisher at the convention. Should they show interest in it? Um, Likely sell sheets or other documents explaining your game, the contents of it, so that they can kind of guesstimate how much it will cost them to produce it if they were to show interest in it, um, and a basic explanation of what your game is, you know, have your elevator pitch ready, know what you say to a publisher in 30 seconds, um, to let them know whether or not they're interested in your game, um... If your game is not pitch-ready, then have a prototype, have a notebook of some sort, or some other way of keeping notes from the actual playtesting experience. Um, You're going to want that probably regardless of what state your game's in, but... If you're not pitch-ready, if you're really in the hammering on it with playtesters stage, I find that a notebook works better than any digital solution I have. I've tried taking notes on my cell phone. It just doesn't work. Um, It doesn't matter whether the notebook is one notebook for all of your game design purposes or you have one notebook for each individual game design. I know designers who do both. Both of them work. Um, eventually you can put those notes into a computer if you prefer to do everything digitally, but have something you can have at any situation, because there were people breaking out board games, like, at dinner, at the bar. Like, hey, I'm going to pull out my little 10-minute pressure luck game. Everybody want to play? And any feedback that they had could be lost without having some sort of notebook on hand to take notes down. Um... You know, you think you'll remember it all, and I promise you, in a three-hour, in a three-day weekend of hammering your game with various playtests and playing other people's games, you'll have problems even remembering which games you played, let alone the feedback that you received from each individual playtester. If you are um, wanting people to come to your table, having some sort of display is good. It doesn't have to be fancy. All I did was put my cell sheets inside of one of the clear acrylic table stands you can buy from, like, an Office Depot or a Staples. Um, They cost a little bit of money, but they don't take up much room in your bag, and uh, it gives you something that people can just walk by and look at. Some people aren't comfortable asking you about your game. Or don't want to sit down unless they think it's something they can enjoy, so having something that tells them, Hey, it plays this many people, it plays about this long, um you know, this is about how heavy it is as a game, you know, that kind of stuff where they can look at it and they don't even have to talk to you is of great benefit. Um, and that holds true for non designer conventions too, like if you set up in a um a like open gaming area of Gen Con or Origins, having a display telling people what you're playing or what you would like to play is a really good way to actually get people to sit down or start talking to you about it. So, um, if you're interested in engaging with other people, I highly recommend that. Yeah. Um, I recommend some sort of storage solution if you have multiple prototypes. um, There's all sorts of options. I've seen people use photographer's cases. Uh, Sen uh, of the Bamboozle Brothers, uh, he uses one of those. Each prototype has its own little miniature plastic box inside of a much larger plastic briefcase. Um, They're usually used by photographers for shipping photographs around um, or keeping photographs uh, to reference later. Those are really good. Um, I had one of those for a while, but the handle broke, so it didn't work for me. I'm apparently too hard on those. He has had no problems with it. Um, What I ended up doing is getting myself a canvas bag, and then I got some uh, cardboard boxes. In this case, I was volunteering at a booth for IDW, and they had these cardboard boxes that were designed to hold five copies of the game Cat Tower. And... Like, they were just going to recycle them, and I was like, could I take some of these? And so I have four of them. They fit exactly in this canvas bag uh, that I got, and I just label them in Sharpie marker with the names of the prototypes, and I put all the prototypes in there. Um, They're a really good size for cards, so it works really well for me. Um, I've since started designing games that actually have boards and playmats. Um, and so I went out and bought some of the document handling cases that you can get uh, at a staples or again, Office Max, any supply store. Um, you can get the photoable box kind or you can get like the more fancy plastic uh, variety. I just went with the cardboard box kind because I like to be able to write on the outside um, without having to get separate sticky labels. Um, so that's all good. Um, you can also have one for supplies. That's something that you should also bring, and this is something that I cannot stress. There's nothing worse than when you finally get to a major game convention uh, and you sit down with other designers and you're playing your game and a piece goes missing. Yeah. Not having uh, scratch paper or backing cards or sleeves that match the ones that your prototype has, or like, for example, I was playing one of my games in a sleeve split. And all of the cards in the game are sleeved. You can't play with them unsleeved because it's a sheet of printer paper in front of a Magic card. Yeah. So, if I hadn't had extra sleeves of that kind on hand, I would have just been SOL. The game was non-functional at that point. Um, and, but... Because I thought ahead and had that, it wasn't a big deal. So just have extras of anything. If your game uses cubes, make sure you have extras of every color that you use. If you have meeples, make sure you have extras. You know, there are some people there who are kind enough to let you borrow stuff. And at Unpub Prime, uh, there's... Um, both Panda Manufacturing and Print and Play Productions are there, and so there's some stuff that you can get on hand, but it won't necessarily match what your game is. So, like, if you have a hidden identity game, and, you know, all of your one of your sleeves goes away, now suddenly uh, everybody knows which role is which because it's in the different colored sleeve. That just doesn't work. Right. So, bring supplies with you. Um, some people go so far as to take it to crazy levels and bring, like, a full-fledged printer with a laptop so they can produce new copies on the fly. Yeah. I think writing on copies in pen and Sharpie is just fine. Right. Um, it depends on how different the game gets and how committed you are to testing that one idea versus anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I brought seven games. So after I played one game sufficiently that I had the feedback I needed to know what direction I needed to take it in, we just pulled out a different prototype and played it instead. There was no reason to play the first game anymore unless anybody asked about it. Um, so we used that time to hammer on other things. Um, so, you know, if you have more than one design, bring it. Doesn't matter what stage it in is in. Just Know what you're looking to get out of the convention for each design and prepare accordingly, yeah, um
0: another thing I've seen you talk about in the past was you had like business cards with q r code stickers on the back, yes, and so talk about that for a second,
1: yes, so one of the things um there are a lot of a lot of publishers nowadays who are moving into the digital age um Several publishers want a cell sheet, like a physical cell sheet. They want a physical rule book. They want a physical prototype that they can play. Um, there are other publishers. I know that Jamie Stegmeier of uh, Stonemeyer Games has specifically said his favorite thing to do is send him, a – not unsolicited, obviously, but send him a video of people playing your game. Yeah. Like, not a playtest session, like uh, just a regular playthrough. Um, if you want to annotate it for particularly like interesting moments, um, that's fine. But that's what he wants to see. He wants to see your game in action on the table as a video. Yeah. Um, some publishers don't want to read rule books. They would much rather watch a video rules explanation of your game. Um, if you have the ability to do that, I mean – At this point, most of mine are just recorded with my iPhone, which isn't the best quality. But I'm not an AV guy either. You know, I'm a game designer. Um, You kind of have to wear multiple hats in this industry. But, um, you know, I can produce a short video, you know, showing what my game is, um, giving a short description of how it works and things of that nature. What's great about this is there are several places you can go online where once you've stored that video on, say, Dropbox or in Google Drive or whatever your preferred storage location for things like that is, even YouTube will work for videos, you can take the link of that to several websites that will allow you to turn it into a QR code and then you can save that image. Um, And then you can put that image on things like your cell sheets. Or one of the things I did for one of my games is I just printed it out on sticky paper. uh, And then uh, I printed basically a whole bunch of QR codes, one inch by one inch squares on sticker paper. And then I cut them all and then packed them with me. So whenever I would talk to somebody about the game or whenever people would show interest about the game, I would, on the back of my business card, write what it was we talked about. I always like to have space on the back of my business card so that I can write what it is that we talked about because I have seven different games. Um, them, It's also a good reminder for them if they can't find the other information. Like their cell sheets may all go to their department lead and they just have my business card. Having my business card on hand with what we talked about on the back of it saying, oh, well, we talked about Back to Earth. Okay, so when I talk to Tony in the future, I know that this was what it was that all of our conversations were about. Um, So that's important. But you can just sticker that QR code right onto the back of it and link them to your video. What I've done recently is I've created a Dropbox that is a print and play for the entire game. Um, This is, again, Back to Earth, one of my larger games that I've been pitching around. Um, But it's a Dropbox. In that Dropbox is the cell sheet for the game, the rules booklet for the game, the print-and-play components for that game. And all of that stuff is accessible via QR code. Like, you can just use that QR code to navigate directly to that website. Um, And I found that it's given me a lot more hits than otherwise would have. Because typing in a website is much more work than just scanning a QR code. Um, and a lot of publishers, especially board game publishers, carry around PDF readers on their phones. Um, you know, I don't put, like, Word documents and stuff up. It's all PDF format, so it can't really be mucked with. But, like, they have PDF readers on their phone because they need to reference their own rule books for games that they've published when they're out at a convention. Or various other documents of that nature. So, um... It's. I've just found that it's been really convenient to have a QR code because it's one less step between them and getting to the content that they want. Um, you know, video playthroughs, video explanations, like, and you can you can make different videos for different purposes, like. I could have a pitch video and then a separate rules explanation video and then a separate. They can watch the pitch video, which is, you know, less than two minutes. And if they're still interested, then they can watch the rules explanation. Then they could watch the gameplay. And that's a lot of work. But um, I found that the more work you do on your own designs, um, the more publishers will pay attention to it. It may not get them to uh, jump. But at the very least, they're more likely to take a look if you've actually spent the effort to take all of those steps. Um, Yeah, and
0: and lowering the barrier to entry and making it as easy as possible for them to learn about your game is going to go so far. Because, I mean, they've got a thousand games that they're looking at that people are bombarding them every day with. So if you can just make it easy, it's going to make their job easier and they're going to appreciate that for sure.
1: And it's going to make your own job easier. Not all publishers are a good fit for every game. Yeah. Um, you know, if I wanted to publish a short pressure luck game, I probably shouldn't be talking to GMT.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, you know, that's not th- what they do. Um, maybe eventually they would release a pressure luck game, but it's not their wheelhouse. So there's no reason to waste the publisher's time or your own. If there's not any kind of compatibility there and you don't always know that publishers don't broadcast everything that's in their upcoming catalogs, you know, Renegade may have a game next year that's identical or very similar to one that I'm looking to pitch. They can't tell me that because they haven't released any press releases. It hasn't been developed. Things could change. The artwork could slip and dates could move and it could now be two years from now instead of next year. Mm -hmm. Like All of that stuff is something that's going on in the publisher's head that you're totally unaware of as a designer when they're looking at your game. And lowering that barrier to entry means that you're not wasting their time with a game that they may not be interested in in the long run. And you're not wasting your time pursuing a publisher who has no interest. Um, There are a lot of publishers out there now, um, and it's exponentially growing. Not all of them take open submissions, but more and more of them are. And there are a lot of people who were designers who are shifting into being publishers. There are a lot of, as people work in the industry, they find what they really enjoy. Some people really like design. Some people really like development. Some people would rather publish. Um, Some people like Gil are crazy and want to do it all himself. Uh, But it really depends on what it is that you like to do. So having that, uh, that on hand to avoid wasting everybody's time in the long run will also earn you, uh, I won't say brownie points, but better, uh, better... It'll build some goodwill. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, goodwill. It'll build goodwill with these people, even if they never take a jump on the game that you're showing them now. Two years from now, you may have the game that's perfect for them. And if you have a good relationship for them, they're much more likely to take a look at it. Yeah. So
0: let's, let's talk about bringing a friend along. Would you suggest that somebody bring a friend to one of these, uh, one of these conventions to kind of help you with the games? You know, maybe you could play test two games at the same time. If you've got a buddy that knows the game, knows the rules, that kind of thing. Uh, You know, would you suggest people get somebody to tag along with them?
1: Um, Well, for an event like Unpub, I personally take the tag tables. So they have all-day tables and tag tables. Tag tables are four hours on Saturday, four hours on Sunday. The all-day tables are basically eight hours Saturday, eight hours Sunday. If you would like lunch, you probably want to bring someone to help you if you are on an all-day table. If you're on a tag table, you can just take lunch in the time when you're not on shift. Um, But... Even so, as you said, like if your game is a two-player game, every unpub table that you reserve comes with six seats. If you have enough uh, mental capacity to run three games at once, you could do that. If you bring help, you don't have to have that extra mental capacity um, because you don't want to burn yourself out either. Yeah. Uh, because it is a working event. Like I have a lot of fun at these conventions and I get to play a lot of cool games, but it is a working event primarily as a designer. Um, and you don't want to over book yourself either. I primarily take tag tables so that it's easier to eat lunch and so that I can play other people's games, um, and not just spend a whole weekend working on just my own. Yeah. Um, it really depends on what your preference is. I do recommend bringing somebody along. This last year at Unpub was the first year that they actually offered a free badge, um, along with every table. So it was your badge that you paid for and then you got a second badge for free um, so that you could bring assistance along because one of the biggest complaints was people not being able to eat lunch or take bathroom breaks. Um, And that's a good problem to have because it means you constantly have players sitting at your table, but it's also one that you don't want to have to deal with if you can avoid it. So having somebody who can cover your table is great. Being able to run more than one at a time also great.
0: Yeah, not having to wear a diaper while you sit and teach your games yes. also. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, that's yes. Uh, unless your game is uh, space themed, yeah, and it's <laughs> you know uh, part of the the mystique. I can't imagine such a game, but yeah. if, if uh, no, there's really no reason to not try to take care of yourself at the same time, and bring a friend along helps. Yeah. Um. You can also bring friends along for other reasons, like uh, at Unpub a couple years ago, I ended up showing up with a contingent of five people from Cincinnati, and only one of them other than me was a designer. I jokingly called them my contourage, um, (laughs) because they kind of followed me around everywhere until they got to know everybody else. Um, But they were there as playtesters. They were people who've played my games to hell and are pretty much bored with them. Yeah. No, that's I'm joking, but like they wanted to try other stuff and they're willing to play unfinished games and they give great feedback. So bringing them seemed like a no-brainer. Um Unpub doesn't charge for playtester badges, only designer badges. So Like, the con was free for them, other than hotel and gas money, and if they all come with me, we can split that hotel cost, and we can split that gas money, and now it's one of the cheapest conventions they can possibly attend, um, and they can see the new hotness before it even is the new hotness, so there's a lot of incentive to just bring people in general. Everybody needs more bodies, like, more playtesters are always needed, and, um... You know, it can't hurt. And if they can help you take care of yourself, even if they're not another designer looking to do their own thing, um, that's great all around as well.
0: Yeah. And let's, let's talk about this idea of taking care of yourself. But that's one thing I think people forget about when they're in this environment and, and, and cause maybe you do live in the middle of nowhere and you don't have opportunities for people to test and play your game. So when you get to a con like this, you go 24 hours and yep. you're just flying, flying, flying. Oh, yeah. And that is not necessarily a healthy thing. So let's talk about ways you can kind of take care of yourself at one of these cons.
1: So um, you're going to be doing rules explanations all day long. You're going to lose your voice if you aren't careful. So stay hydrated. Drink water. Um, most of the places, like Unpub actually has water coolers in the back of the room that are completely free and unlimited. Uh, they may be empty at a time, but after a certain amount of time, they always get refilled. So make sure you're drinking water. Um, I bring cough drops with me um, and and or um, I usually don't use chewing gum. I usually use like peppermints or hard candy. Um, both to help my breath and because that can also keep me from losing my voice. Like having a cough drop in my mouth, um, helps with that problem. Um, so I always bring both of those things or, or make sure that they're on hand. Um, bringing yourself a water bottle is really handy with the water coolers. You can just refill the water bottle rather than having to use all their disposable cups over and over again. Mm. Uh, so that's a big benefit. Um, this time I actually drove to Baltimore uh, and because uh, I recently purchased a van. And so we were able to get everybody in one vehicle and everything. And so uh, I bought a case of water and brought it with us, just a case of bottles of water. And we were passing them out to other people and reusing the bottles with the coolers in the back and everything just to try to stretch that. So you're going to be doing a lot of talking. Take care of your voice. Um, if you are on – 24 7 like i'm an extrovert i love being around other people so normally the problem from for me is just that i push myself to the limit and then don't get enough sleep uh i would not recommend that go get enough sleep yeah um a lot of the conventions have started instituting times when the halls close now in order to encourage people to sleep (laughs) um it's it's important uh it keeps you level headed. It makes it much easier for you to take feedback um, both in that you can grok it faster. you can understand what people are saying to you if you if you're on full sleep and it keeps you from being defensive. Yeah. Um, not getting enough sleep will make you grumpy right. Not eating will also make you grumpy. Yep. Um, I usually bring some like granola bars or trail mix or something that I can munch on in the hall. And then I make sure that I have at least two meals a day. I say two because three is a little unrealistic given the amount of time that you're going to want to sit around and game. I try to have breakfast. I like to get a hotel that actually has breakfast included just so that I don't have to think about that. And then uh, for the evening time, I will usually go out to a meal with other people, and I try to budget for that. Um, But – I know people who will get a hotel with a refrigerator and just bring all of the stuff they intend to eat for the weekend with them, especially if you have dietary restrictions. That can be really important. Um Baltimore was decent for vegans, vegetarians, gluten-free people. Um some of the other places like Texas, BGGcon is horrible <laughs> if you have a can't dietary. Can imagine that restriction. in Texas? <laughs> well, it's just because it's located at the airport and uh, so it's a taxi cab to anywhere. Gotcha. Like your options are Starbucks and the restaurants inside the hotel. Mm-hmm. That's what you've got. Um unless you're willing to Uber or take a cab. Um so it's really restrictive for people with dietary restrictions. Um, some other places, like uh, Origins, is really good. North Market is like walking distance away, it's just a couple blocks. And so, like any kind of food you want, you can get there. So, knowing the venue helps, um, but I always try to eat two meals a day. That's two meals a day. I try to get at least four hours of sleep. More is better, but four hours is let, like minimum functional. Yeah, Um, especially if you're driving. Uh, This was something that that was very, very important on the Sunday of Unpub. I really wanted to stay up until the wee hours of the morning on Saturday night, you know, sun up time frame. But knowing that I had an eight hour drive ahead of me after a day of pitching my game and playing other people's games uh, made me very cognizant of the fact that that was a bad plan in the long term um it doesn't do anybody any good if you uh get in a car accident to or from the convention because you didn't sleep enough no doubt um but yeah uh sleep eat bring snacks water cough drops um i highly recommend all of those things regardless of what convention you're going to but they really help at design conventions because it's a working convention you know if you're working a booth at another convention i would suggest the exact same things um if it's just, you know, fun time, do whatever. If your voice goes, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, these kinds of things, I highly recommend taking care of yourself because it'll be easier. Oh, and shower.
0: Yes, deodorant.
1: This is, this is <laughs> yes, shower, deodorant, like these, brush your teeth. Like yeah. these are kind of things that I, I don't want to say. I don't want to have to say, but like it's really easy when you're traveling and you're away from all of your stuff for the little things to just slide under the radar. Yeah. Um, these little things are very important things, especially if you are planning on having conversations with publishers about your games and pitching to them. Yeah. Um, if you did not shower and you did not brush your teeth or at least do something to take care of your horrible coffee breath in the morning, um, you are going to have a worse time in that meeting, even if your game is the greatest thing ever. Yeah um it's it's somewhat of a dub but it's really important and if there's anybody else who could benefit from such things in your immediate vicinity offer to help them kindly <laughs> yeah like do not make a big deal of it don't ostracize them don't treat them poorly because sometimes grooming habits can be a an economic concern mm-hmm. And so it's important to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Um, I know some conventions like Metatopia, which I haven't had the chance to attend, but that's another very large designer convention in uh, the New Jersey area, actually offers hygiene kits for free in the bathroom that include like toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, and all of those things so that if you, God forbid, forget to pack it or uh, can't afford it, it's accessible and nobody's going to make you feel ashamed for needing it. Uh, we don't need that in the hobby either. Um, but just take care of yourself. You're important. Uh, I always joke that, you know, all of these conventions are gaming conventions, but really they're people conventions. Like I go to see the people, I go to play games with the people, I go to share my games with people and the people are what's important. So take care of each other. If anybody's having problems, you know, that you can help like I tend to carry pain medication because I have bad knees. Um, I can't count the number of times that people have had headaches and I've been able to help them because I had that on hand and somebody else didn't. Um, I'm not saying you need to c- carry a full-on first aid kit, but if you want to, that would be really cool. People would appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, There are people at conventions who carry cosplay repair kits. You know, if you want to be the one guy who brought your laptop and your printer and offer to help other people update their prototypes, people will love you for it. Right. Um, you know, all of that stuff, um, pay it forward. Like we're all in the same industry. We're all working towards the same goal. Um, and it's supposed to be fun.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: like it is work, but it's supposed to be fun. That's what we're creating. And so, um, yeah,
0: for sure. Take care each of your- other. Out. Take care of yourself, take care of each other. Everything's better because of that. So one, one last question. What do you do as far as like feedback? So people play your game and then you're trying mm-hmm. to get feedback. Like do you have a, a handout that you, that you give them and they can kind of fill stuff out? You mentioned earlier Unpub has things on their website. But what, mm-hmm. are, what are some good ways to really capture all that playtest data and all that feedback?
1: I have never used a specific feedback form for any of my games. I know that they can work. They're particularly valuable if you know that there are things specifically that you want to ask about. Uh, Unpub has generic feedback forms, like I say, on their site. Like, you can go to their website... Uh, find the game that you just played and offer feedback on a scale, and write in comments on what you liked, what you didn't like, that sort of thing. Like those kinds of feedback forms are just de rigueur in unpub, and they'll send you uh, the designer all of those in email format, or you have access to them on your on their website. Um, You can just go log into your profile and it'll show you which games of yours have received feedback and you can actually look at the individual feedback, the scores and all of that stuff. It also aggregates them in the different categories like accessibility and learning time and downtime and all of that sort of things. If you care about something specific, then a feedback form is very good. I would suggest, even if you don't prepare a formal feedback form, have some questions that are specific to your game and what you're looking to get out of the playtesting session ready. Um, There's nothing worse than playing a game with a whole bunch of people and then saying, so, what did you think? That's a horrible way to start a feedback conversation after a playtest. Like. Even, even if your questions are only as directed as what was your favorite thing about the game, what was your least favorite thing about the game, and just taking notes on that. Um, you know, Both of those things are questions that can get people to talk about the game. Right. Um, if you're at the stage where you're hammering on specific mechanisms, you can ask specifically about those mechanisms. Like, how did it feel when you did X? Or, you know, was uh, do you feel that these cards are balanced with each other? Um, You know, sometimes the answer you want is no, but you don't tell them that, you let them tell you. Um, You just set them up to give you answers that are useful to you. Don't just throw questions out willy-nilly and expect to get anything useful out of it like if you're worried about how long your game takes to play like you have a light game and it tends to run at about 45 minutes ask you know does this game feel like it overstayed its welcome sometimes you'll hear people say yes absolutely and maybe you didn't want to hear that but it's important that you hear it yeah um you know those kinds of things direct the conversation don't just have a BS session about the game that they just played. That's unlikely to yield good results, especially with um, with people who are not also designers. Some designers will like immediately come to the conversation with a direction in mind because they've already, they've played the game and they're a designer. Um, don't let them steer the conversation because. They can make the game that they are making somewhere else, (laughs) even if it's the game in their head that was inspired by the game they just played. Um, Don't let them take over the conversation about your game. It's your game, and ultimately the conversation needs to serve you. Um, I'm an extrovert, and I talk a lot, as evidenced by the few words I'm letting you get in edgewise. Um, And so I tend to prefer speech. And then I'll write things down in a notebook. Um, there are some people who are much more comfortable passing out forms and having people fill out forms. Um, I've heard both ways. Some people are much more willing to be honest on a form yeah. than they are to your face. They want to spare your feelings. Um, assuring people that you're not going to be upset no matter what they say. And then actually not getting upset. That's the second part is the key there. Right. Like, you're there to get their feedback, good, bad, or ugly. Um, sometimes you're gonna hear ugly and just take it. like don't ever tell people their feedback is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not there to argue with people. Um, they're allowed to have their opinion about your game. It may just not be a good fit. Don't play test with just one group, you know You're gonna play test with maybe 20 people. If everybody has the same opinion, well, then maybe you've got something to worry about. But if it's one guy who didn't like your game, maybe it's just a bad fit or maybe he hadn't eaten recently or maybe he needed to use the bathroom the whole time. You have no idea where it came from, but there's never a reason to get an attitude with them. Let them say whatever they're going to say. Write it down what's important and then move on. Um You know, some sometimes it's okay to just completely disregard some people's feedback. Yeah, Uh, like that seems horrible to say we're there to get feedback. I'm supposed to pay attention to everything. Well, some things aren't worth paying attention to Um, you as the designer. It's a skill that you'll develop over time to learn that. I'm not saying, you know, well, playtesters don't know what they're talking about. Ignore everything they say. That's not it either. But, you know. Um, Daniel Salas again, one of my favorite things he said was uh, that I keep getting feedback that's basically the equivalent of, this cake is a really bad soup. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, it's not trying to be soup. Right. Like, we're not talking about soup here, we're talking about cake. Why do you keep bringing the conversation back to something that's unrelated? And sometimes he'll just straight up stop a conversation if that's the direction it's going in. Like, I'm designing this game here. You're talking about another idea that's a very valid and interesting idea, but it's not this game. Could we bring the conversation back to this game? Like, I may even make a note of the other idea because maybe it's better than mine, or maybe it's something I can pursue in the future, but it's not part of the conversation. You don't want to waste your player's time any more than you do a publisher's. Yeah. Um, yeah, So, for sure. I have think... ideas... That, have ideas in mind of what you're gonna ask.
0: Yeah. Well, Tony, man, really appreciate all the insight, all the just experience you, you bring on, on conventions and getting the most out of it. Uh really appreciate your time and, and coming on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on here and letting me gab and gab and gab so much. Yeah, it's been um, great. I've
0: been I've been taking notes, man. I've been learning a lot. You know, I've I haven't had the opportunity to to attend, you know, being outside of the United States, I haven't been able to go uh to any unpubs or anything like that yet. And so I'm over here just trying to learn and, and figure it out for myself as well. Uh, we're about to head over into a bonus round. We're going to talk about how Tony finds time for game design. That's one thing, you know, a lot of people, they send me emails, they ask about, talk about, they say, gosh, I want to design games. I want to work on my my game projects, but I got a job and I got a family and I got a mortgage and I got all these things I have to take mm-hmm. care of. So how do I find time to do that? And so we're going to talk to Tony uh, for, for a little bit about how he finds time in his busy life to design games so Tony again thanks for coming on and good luck with everything you got going on
1: thanks a lot for having me it's been great
0: thanks for listening find all sorts of game design resources bonus material and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com and until next time keep designing keep playtesting and keep creating great games did I mention keep playtesting